All right, John chapter 1, verse 35 says this. The heading on this one for me in my Bible says Jesus calls the first disciples. It says, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples. Remember, this is John the Baptist. And he looked at Jesus as he was walking by and said, behold the Lamb of God, exclamation point. I think he said this before. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and he said to them, what are you seeking? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God! You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Verse 51 says, And he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Before we jump into this, let's pray once again. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that by the power of your Spirit that you would make your text alive to us today. God, that we would see these words, that we would see your word. God, is not just encouragement, not just advice, not just a handbook for Christian living, but God, that we would see you. This is you revealed to us showing us who you are, bidding us to come. And so, God, today, I pray that we would understand, that we have ears to hear, eyes to see. God, that you would fill us with understanding and that you would fill us with humility that we would answer the call to follow you. We love you. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Verse 35, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. So some of Jesus' first disciples actually were John the Baptist's disciples. Some of the guys who followed John became Jesus' first disciples. As I read that, I thought about how um, how awesome John the Baptist's posture was. That, right, whenever Jesus shows up, 
This is his cousin, as we talked about, right? And it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that whom the Spirit would descend and rest on, that that's the Lamb of God. That is the Messiah, the long-awaited one who is going to save and redeem his people. And so he sees Jesus and he declares once again, that's the lamb, that's the one. And like in a prophetic word that he's going to come and die to be the ransom, to pay the price for sin. He says, behold, the lamb of God. And some of John's own disciples follow Jesus, which what an awesome posture to have. The phrase, know your role, popped into my brain this week as I was reading this. You ever have anybody say that? Like, know your role. Like, stay in your lane. Maybe you've had a coworker uh, who's uh, maybe kind of up in your business, and you're like, hey, stay in your lane, okay? That's, your, that's yours over there, okay? Know your role. John the Baptist seems to know his role in proclaiming the forerunner, right? Last week we talked about how um, he's not the word, but he is the voice, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Right, That Jesus is the word, the eternal word, the one who is before all. And John says, I'm not the Christ. I am not the Christ, but I am the one of voice crying out in the desert. The one that Isaiah talked about in Isaiah chapter 40. The one to proclaim the majesty of Jesus. Know your role. Stay in your lane. You see John the Baptist saturated with humility How he says, the one who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And instead of amassing people to himself, followers of his own acclaim, he takes those followers and he hands them off to Jesus. He's bringing people to Christ. I think in today's culture, today's day and age of of American church and even church around the world, you see this. Do you have... Churches making a name for themselves. You have pastors making a name for themselves. There's actually like a whole kind of thing of celebrity pastors these days. Social media, right? Uh, Videos posted everywhere where it's really easy to shift our focus from making the name of Jesus great and building his kingdom to making my name great and building my kingdom very, very easy. You see that John the Baptist knows his role. I'm just here to proclaim, behold, look and see, behold, the Lamb of God. We, like John, we don't make a name for ourselves, but we proclaim and live for and work hard to make much of Jesus and to make his name great. I think about back when I did uh, youth ministry. There's a piece of my philosophy of ministry that, um, and and actually, now that I think about it, it carries over into grown-up ministry. You guys are the grown-ups. Grown-up ministry. Where in, in, in youth ministry, I worked really hard to basically like take a teenager by the hand, not, not literally, but sometimes literally, but not literally, um, take them by the hand and try to get that hand into the hand of Christ as quickly as I could. How many of you know like people like, if you have a bit of wisdom or you have a bit of knowledge or, or if you like meet someone's needs, sometimes they can become dependent on you. 
A lot of times you become the conduit. You become the go-to for advice. Or you become the conduit for wisdom or, or whatever it is. You become the, the person. And in my head and in my role and even in my own kid's life right now, right? I'm their biggest fan. I'm going to be their biggest resource. I hope that right now while they're young, I'm the loudest voice they hear. And so I'm going to keep preaching and proclaiming Jesus. But what I really, really want to do is take their hand and get it into the hand of Jesus. Because that is who they need to follow. They can't keep calling me, and I'm going to be there for them in case they do call me. But what I want them to hear is the voice of God, not my voice. Those teenagers back in my youth ministry, I wanted them to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, not just Kevin's voice. And so John the Baptist, you see here, he takes his own followers, his own disciples, and he says, look, behold, that's the guy. That's the guy you're to follow. What a beautiful example of humility and leadership, servant leadership. It is my prayer and my hope that we in this church would not just hear the voice of Kevin or any of our elders or anything, but we would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit through his scriptures and we would wholeheartedly follow. Verse 35 again says, The next day John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by. He said, behold, the Lamb of God. Verse 37, the two disciples that heard him say this, they followed. Again, John says, look, behold, the Lamb of God. These two followers of John the Baptist, we actually do get one of their names. The one of their names is Andrew. The other one is not named but in my research this week, there's a lot of scholars that suggest, and I think there's pretty good reason, that the other disciple who's not named here is actually the gospel writer John himself. What a cool thing that John, like even the humility in that, not like he could have named himself, but many scholars suggest that it is Andrew and John that are the followers of John the Baptist who then end up following Jesus. And then you see that Andrew excited that he found the Messiah, he introduces his brother Simon Peter. Verse 40, one of the brothers, one of the two who heard John speak, followed Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. It's a pretty bold move, isn't it? You ever meet somebody for the first time and you're like, hey, I'm Kevin, nice to meet you. And they go, nah, you're not Kevin anymore, you're Joe. It's a pretty bold move to meet somebody for the very first time. But Jesus speaking prophetically over Peter, right? And the role that he was going to play as one of his disciples, as one of his followers, changes his name to Peter, meaning stone or rock. I think of another place where Peter is referred to as Cephas, or Cephas, more correctly. And it coordinates beautifully with this idea of calling of the disciples and following Christ. It's actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. This is Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Many of you know that. Verse 10 says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the, our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there, is, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. So many of you know that the, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth um, it was be largely because there was a lot of division in this church. There was a lot of discord, a lot of dysfunction. This is probably one of the more dysfunctional churches um, that, are, that Paul writes to. 
Okay, verse 11 says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And what I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Verse 13, he says, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Okay, and I, and I bring that up because there you see he's, he's called Cephas once again. And I bring that up because it flows beautifully with the idea of being called of God, being a follower of God, and, and being one of his disciples. Back in uh, John chapter 1 here, right, he's calling his first disciples to himself. And here you see Paul writing to the church in Corinth because they're divided. One of you is saying, I follow Paul. One of you is saying, I'm following Paul. One of you say, I'm following Peter. I follow Christ. And I think to myself, and the whole idea of like celebrity pastor, the whole idea of I follow this church or I follow this uh, ministry or I follow whatever it might be. I think of like the uh, denominational tribalism that you see in so many different traditions, right? Where you have like, I, well, it's one of the reasons why I love the fact that we're just simply Mercy Hill Church, a non-denominational church where like, Wherever you're coming from, where, whatever church background, whatever tradition you come from, just like come and check it out because all we care about is the Bible. Like all we care about. And if, you know, if, if, if the Bible lines up more with a particular guy, it's not, you know, Calvin that we agree with. It's the Bible we agree with. It's not Luther we agree with. It's the Bible we agree with. It's not, you know, whatever it might be. And sometimes we get stuck in this tribalism. That this is it. I follow this guy. I follow that guy. I follow that. And even in that, like Mercy Hill Church, I, like, I know many of you love this place. I know many of you love the people that you're sitting next to. And that's beautiful and awesome because we have this um, awesome, holy relationship as a local body. It's beautiful. But ultimately, we follow Jesus. We follow his word. Every one of them here in court, like whether it be uh, John the Baptist, whether it be Paul, whether it be Apollos or Peter or Luther or whoever, every one of them were about Christ and his word, about following Christ, that he is the lamb that John the Baptist talks about who died for you in your sins to redeem you, to reconcile you. There's no man, not John the Baptist, not Peter, not Paul, not Luther, not Calvin, no denomination or any pastor but Jesus. So we follow Jesus and we follow his word. Verse 43 says, The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
So Jesus, the next day, goes to Galilee, okay? He finds Philip and he calls him and he says, simply follow me. And then Philip, in his excitement of who he's discovered, in his excitement, he goes and tells Nathanael, he says, we have found him. We have found the one, the one whom Moses and the prophets all wrote about. We found Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathanael's response is interesting because he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You ever heard that phrase? Right? You ever read that and go, okay, what is, he, what is he talking about here? Now, Nazareth was a humble place. It was a small place. Uh, some scholars think that it was probably a town of only about 500 people. Okay, so it was small and humble and make a small town. But more than that, okay, more than just being a small town, it also had a bit of a reputation of being, uh, I don't know how to say this gently, and I'm not trying to think of any surrounding towns. Um, it was a little hick, some scholars think. A little hillbilly. A little bumpkin, as one scholar put it. Now, many of you are thinking of towns and you're making fun of them in your brain. <laughs> don't do that. It's a place that others would look down on. Not just humble and small, but a place that others might look down on. So Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And you see Philip's response back to Nathaniel. He says simply, come and see. Come check it out. It's, it's like... Um, he, he just he, he basically says, come follow me. Let's go check it out. Nathanael meets Jesus. We read in verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Could you imagine hearing that come from Jesus about you? How awesome that would be. Verse 48, Nathanael says to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. What you see here with Nathaniel is a beautiful truth for each one of us. You are fully and completely known by the word. You are fully and completely known by the God of the universe. You are fully and completely known by the one who knitted you together in your mother's womb. Nathaniel's like, how do you know me? He's like, I know you. I saw you before. And Nathaniel doesn't yet know Jesus, yet Jesus knows Nathaniel completely. You are fully known by the eternal God and completely loved by him. That truth should be exhilarating. See, a lot of us... Um, I love our community groups. I think we've got a couple of amazing community groups around here where people are starting to get to know each other. And how many of you know, like, getting to know someone can be very difficult? Like, to put yourself out there to be known by somebody is a scary thought. Like, if they were to see, like, all the stuff I wrestle with and all the things that I struggle with, like, they're probably not going to accept me. That's the fear that we have. So we, like... This is not, this is, you can't say this anywhere. So we like put on our Sunday mask, but like not literally, like our Sunday mask. We show up, we look like we have it all together, and we're not truly ever vulnerable with each other or, or expose ourselves to one another because we're terrified of what they might think. 
And so here, like, we know that we are fully known by God. He knows every thought. He knows every struggle. He knows all the sin. He knows the pride. He knows the lust. He knows it all. And yet he still loves me. He still loves me completely. And he still calls me by name. How freeing that is to know that you are completely known and yet completely loved by the God who made you. And he bids you to come. He bids you to come and see, taste and see that he is good. As Philip says to Nathaniel, come and see Right? It's evangelism 101. That should be the cry of our hearts every day. Last week, we spoke extensively about our purpose. We, we looked at the life of John the Baptist, or at least that first, those first couple uh, verses in chapter 1. Right? And he says that it was his purpose to reveal Christ, to proclaim, behold the Lamb of God. And when you look at the word behold, it's just a fancy word that means look. It means see. Behold, come and see. And so John the Baptist's ministry, Evangelism 101, right? Come and see. Our lives, our words should be proclaiming, come and see the one who knows you and loves you. Makes me think of John chapter 4, and I I don't want to blow the reveal on this because we'll be there in a couple of weeks, but John chapter 4, the woman at the well, right? Jesus comes to the well, there's a woman there. Living water, thirst no more, that whole story. And he asks her, he says, go get your husband. And then she confesses that she has no husband. And Jesus knows her. He knows her story. He says, you are right to say that you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands and the guy you're with now is not your husband. He like calls her out knows her filth, knows her sin, knows her shame, yet loves her, forgives her, tells her to sin no more. What's her response? She runs back into town, and what does she say? Verse 29, it says this, Come see a man, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come and see the man who knows me. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. See, this woman is not the best. She's actually a filthy sinner. Jesus knows it, and yet he loves her. He forgives her, and she proclaims, come and see. All of our stories are vastly different, yet all of our stories are exactly the same. I was lost, and now I'm found. I was dead and he has made me alive. I was blind, I couldn't see, and he opened my eyes. All of our stories are exactly the same as this woman. Your sin might be a little bit different, but it's still filthy. And yet he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. And he bids you to come, follow him. Church, we gotta let our life And our words proclaim, come and see. It's the invite that we have for others that need Jesus because it's the invite that we've received from Christ himself. I found a cool quote this week from Charles Spurgeon. It says this, Come and see 
is the beginning of spiritual life. Come and see is this gospel's cry to those outside its pale. It has nothing to conceal. It wears no mask. It has no most holy place to which entrance is forbidden. It has a sanctum sanctorium. That's the holy of holies. It has a sanctum sanctorium, but the way to it is open. Open and above board in all of its doings, the truth as it is in Jesus bears its bosom secrets and cries to every passerby, come and see Jesus bids us come in his grace, in his mercy, knowing us completely, yet he calls us to come. It's our invite to our lost family, to our lost friends, to those in this hurting world to see the goodness and the fullness of the one who knows them fully. Let's go back a little bit and see how Christ has called his, his uh, disciples here. Uh, back to, go all the way back to verse 35 for a minute. It says, The next day John was standing with two of his disciples. He looked at Jesus as he walked by. He said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this. They followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said, What are you seeking? Why are you following me? Why, like, what are you looking for? Like, in our lives... Each one of us is seeking something. Just like that woman at the well, she had no idea that, she's, that Jesus is talking about himself. He's talking about water. He's talking about this living water. And she's like, you've got no bucket. You've got nothing to draw with. But yet, she knows she's got this longing inside of her. And longing and desire, uh, craving, uh, feeling unsettled. It's, sometimes it's hard to put your finger on what that thing is. I think there's a whole world out there who's lost and hurting, and they have this craving, they have this desire. They know they need something, but they can't quite put their finger on it. It's the question for every soul. What are you looking for? What do you desire? What do you thirst for? Why are you following me? Sometimes those motivations... And perceived needs are hard to put our fingers on. I think part of that is is because of sin. Right? I, I used to think it really cheesy, but there is a fact, there is a reality that each one of us has that God-shaped hole, right? I've always thought that was a little cheesy. There's a God-shaped hole in each one of us. It's true, though. So true, like, and we try, there's a world out there that is trying to fill that hole, that void with, with career and success and money and investments and whatever it might be. Then COVID comes and shakes it all up. Awesome, praise God, right? Who, who says that? But the hole, the void is Jesus. The, the void, the ache in the soul is Jesus. And instead of trying to fill it with another relationship, another, another uh, story in our uh, piece of our, our love life, instead of trying to fill it with broken relationship and broken relationship or try to fill it with alcohol or drugs or pornography or whatever it might be, the ache in our soul is Jesus. What are we seeking? What are we looking for? Because of the discord caused by sin, sometimes it's hard to put our finger on it.
Verse 38 again, Jesus turned to them and saw them following. He said, what are you seeking? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? They want to know where he's staying. Verse 39 says, come and you will see. Come and you will see. See, they want to see where he's staying. That's specifically the question. But really, I think behind that question or, or, or what's, what's, um, that question represents is they just want to get an idea of where he came from. They want to get an idea of who he is. They want to get an idea about how he's living, how he lives. They want to know what this guy is all about. Is he truly the Messiah? And Jesus says, come and you will see. It's the response to every inquisitive seeker in whom the Holy Spirit is working. It's the response to every one whom the Holy Spirit is stirring their heart, filling them with that desire, that ache, that draw. Jesus bids us come and see. It's not just to seek a way or a philosophy, but the way. And when I say that, when Jesus calls himself the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, like that it, it, that's not just a philosophy. Be very, very clear about that. When we are called to follow, we are following a person. We are following the God of the universe. We're not just following a philosophy of life. We're following the person, a living God. And he bids us to come and see. As we conclude today and the band comes, I want to challenge you in two ways. Maybe in your life, um, because you are well aware of your sinfulness, maybe you have withheld yourself to some degree, to God or to others, because you're afraid to be fully known. I'm here to tell you right now, God already knows. My wife, uh, when my wife and I first got together, she had a phrase that she used all the time, and I adopted this phrase for a while, and it's funny because I haven't said it in a little bit. But she would always say, Jesus knows. Didn't matter like, what we were dealing like, with. Some of the biggest things that we've dealt with in our life and in our marriage, like my wife would just stop in this beautiful, like Holy Spirit calm and just be like, Jesus knows. He knows. None of this surprises him. COVID didn't surprise him. Death in our family didn't surprise him. Like, none of it surprises him. He knows, he knows, he knows. And he loves. And he loves. And some of us, like, we're afraid to just give ourselves over completely. Because we're afraid, like, if people truly know me, I, 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 I'm going to be rejected. I'm not going to be accepted. I'm going to be looked at. I'm just here to tell you, this room is broken. This room is full of broken people, and it's beautiful and awesome. Do you realize the whole Bible is full of broken, wretched, horrible people, except one, the Lamb of God? who takes away our sins. Like, that's the whole point of the gospel. Doesn't matter who, like, the greatest heroes of faith were, were adulterers and murderers and just the worst. Every one of them, except the one who redeems us. The one who knows you completely, 
yet loves you completely. So as he bids you to come, let it all go. No more pretense, no more pretending, no more, just lay it all before him. And I would encourage you to do that amongst your brothers and sisters in this room as well. Like you don't have to do it to everybody, but find a small group, find a community group, find, come tonight and you're gonna probably hear some people share some things. That is pretty open and vulnerable. That's one thing that I love about Spirit Led so far. People get up and they just share. This is what God's been doing. This is what I've been struggling with. Guys, pray with me. Sounds like the church. Sounds like what the church should be. Completely known, completely loved by a holy God. And then I would also encourage you, because he has called you, because he has saved you, because he has said, hey, follow me, with the same excitement of Philip to Nathaniel, also declare to your family and friends, come and see the one that Moses talked about, the one that the prophets spoke of. Come and see the Messiah, Jesus Christ our Lord. Be faithful and be um, bold with declaring come and see. Okay? As I said last week, a lot of times evangelism and, and, and sharing Christ with people gets real daunting and we overcomplicate it. Don't overcomplicate it. Come and see. I'm going to pray and then we'll worship. Keep responding to the Holy Spirit this morning. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your grace over us. Thank you for your word that is alive and active. Thank you for your Holy Spirit alive and active in us. Continue to call us and draw us to yourself. Give us the boldness to lay ourselves completely before the one who knows us completely and loves us completely. God, help us to give ourselves over to you. Help us to share the wonders of Christ to our families and friends. God, let us truly be your church to the glory of your name. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing together before we go.